Welcome to the 24 Stories podcast that aims to educate, inspire and help build brands. I'm your host, Stephen Ryan, founder of 24 Stories, and I'll be joined each week by guests from a variety of industries here to tell you how they built their brands. Welcome to episode 15 of the 24 Stories podcast. This week, um, we're going to look at the world of finance, uh, which is a bit of a different move for me because it's always marketing and brand related. But there will be some marketing elements to this episode as well. And I'm delighted to be joined by the managing director of, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Pinaclo. You're absolutely right, Stephen. It is Pinaclo. So I have Noella Carroll in front of me. Um, welcome to the 24 Stories podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Really looking forward to our chat today. No, I'm delighted. Um, when I heard about your business, I always like to look at the about section. Probably a strange one for me. You know, anyone that's been listening to the podcast over the the last kind of 14 or 15 episodes, you know that I always kind of go on the backstory. And I was looking at the about section. I was fascinated at your own. And I think you grew up in Mill Street and your family had a shop. Yeah. My dad is originally from Mill Street in North Cork. Yeah. And my mum is from Bandon. And she married into the business in Mill Street. So the, your father had the shop and then she came to Mill yeah, Street. She married into the business, the food store. She she was a hairdresser. She was the second hairdresser in Bandon. Whoa. So I come from a very entrepreneurial yeah. background. Yeah. And did she work for herself in Bandon? Oh, she did, yeah. She yeah. had her own hair salon. Yeah. And when she got married, she moved into Mill Street with my dad and they had four kids. She worked in the shop with him mm. and then unfortunately he died when I was six. Oh God, yeah. So she took over everything at that stage and I guess Mill Street didn't become the place for her anymore because all her family were in Cork. So yeah, yeah. she moved up to Cork and she worked her whole life. She managed food stores. She worked in petrol stations. Yeah. She drove um, minibuses yeah. for different organisations. She did everything to raise us four kids, bring us through college. So she's my inspiration without a hesitation. It's my mum. Did she try and run the shop for a while? When, oh, she did, yeah. When, she did. when, when, when your father yeah, passed? She did, yeah. And that was probably difficult because she was probably seen as a bit of a blow-in as well down on Mill Street, was she? Oh, she was, yeah. And in those days, she was, I suppose, the target for the, you know, the woman on her own as well. Yes. She, she was a bit of a target in the local town. So yeah, yeah. that became too much for her and she moved up to Cork eventually. You said your father had the business, but did he inherit it from his own family? Was oh, it did, always yeah. in the kind of family yeah, was, for yeah. years? Yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. And what happened to it then? Did it go back to, the, to other no, family members? No, or she sold it on. Yeah. She sold yeah. it on. Yeah. Um, it was Crowley's food store in the corner of um, the Main Street, Mill Street. Um, and do you remember that? Like, I know you were only six, but do you remember being in the shop when you were kind of four or five? Or I do bits, yeah. right? I do bits of it. Um, I suppose you remember certain things. Yeah. Right? I remember my first communion. Yeah. And I remember um, my father was gone at that stage. Yeah. And my mum, she brought in this manager of the shop. Yeah. And he was, um, he was like a, a older brother to us. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, he brought me um, cladering. Yeah, yeah. And I lost it that day. Oh, God. <laughs> of yeah, the communion. Yeah. There are silly things that you remember. Yeah. Right. Um, I remember packing the shells, yeah. never would have been behind the counter. We would have had the first ice cream shop in Mill Street, the first ice cream machine, you know, the whipped ones. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we had the first one of those, right? What was that like? It's <laughs> a huge queue, oh, probably. cool, yeah, yeah, it was cool. Um, my dad was very kind of inventive in yeah. ways of increasing revenue and driving yeah. the business on. Yeah. So he brought that in. 
my mum as well, she's still alive. Um, she would have been very much alongside him in yeah. that regard. Yeah. Right. Not afraid to try something different. Oh God, no, 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 no. And and she's been that way her whole life, I suppose, yeah. an element of a risk taker. Yeah. I'm a little bit of that too, I'm afraid. Okay, but that's, yeah. that can be good. That's that a good thing good. as well. Yeah. 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 So you moved from Mill Street to the city then, was it? We moved initially to the Rise in Bishopstown. Yeah. And then my mother managed a petrol station for many years. And then we moved to down Sarsis Road to a food store called Ellenfield Food Stores. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was just built and my yeah. mum bought it and the house beside it. And we yes. lived there. She raised us mainly there. So... Did you, you... You were living next door to your own shop, kind of? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So if, kind, when yeah. I say that, people yeah. say to me, oh, geez, that must have been great. You could yeah. get whatever you want whenever you want it. It was kind of cool. All right. But the other side of it was that there was a bell under the counter. And if the bell rang inside the house, it yeah. was like all hands on deck. So everyone had to drop whatever they were doing in the house and run out and help mom in the shop. Right. Yeah. So um, they were the disadvantages. But yeah, undoubtedly at night time, you could go in and get um, a couple of bags of crisps, you know, if you wanted to. <laughs> and that was kind of at a time when I suppose we didn't have all the supermarkets like we have now. No, no. You know, no, like yeah. there were an Aldi on every corner or yeah. Lidl or whatever. Yeah. You know, yeah. the, the the local shop was, was like a community centre. Oh, it was. was, yeah. And uh, it's funny, someone asked me recently um, what it was like as well. And I remember we used to make rolls and sandwiches for the different um, businesses up and down Sarsils Road. Yeah. So they'd ring in the order. We'd make the sandwiches and the rolls yeah. And we would cycle on our bikes and bring, bring them up, up. To, the, to different businesses. But that that's all my mum. That's all ideas she'd come up with. And they absolutely loved her. Yeah. Like they come into the shop and they might need a, a safety pin. She wouldn't have safety pin. She'd go in and find one inside and bring it out or yeah. a piece of thread or whatever it was for the customer. The customer was... King kind oh of. Oh yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that where you kind of came in involved with money? You know, like, uh, you know, obviously you're an accountant and, you know, but did you get used to the numbers? Did you did she kind of give you the books and stuff or? Uh, no, no, actually, no. I mean, I guess my mum would have always loved if one of us took over the shop. Yeah. But having said that, she wanted to educate us mm. as well and send us to college or down the routes we wanted to go. Mm. Uh, I wanted to be an accountant like my big sister. Okay. So my big sister did chartered accounting. Yeah. And I did management accounting. They are different, right? What is the difference in yeah, both okay. of them, actually? Yeah, Great as a marketeer, yeah. <laughs> I try and avoid accounting whenever I can. Yeah. The, the difference is, so a financial accountant is someone who can sign off your accounts, okay. who can perform audits yes. on accounts, and they would um, do your bookkeeping mm. and your year-end accounts, right, and give you advice. Or, it's more a historical outlook, right? Yes. Ensure your revenues, returns are on, are on time and correct, yeah. right? A management accountant is more future-looking. Yeah. So we look at the future of an organisation. Forecasting. We, forecasting, budgeting, yeah. planning. We look at the historical data to formulate the future. Yeah. Right. So I suppose one of the key areas of management accounting is costing. So I work with clients to cost their services and their products mm. correctly so that they can de- derive the correct selling price and really understand the costs of their business to move forward with either cost control measures, with expanding a particular product line or however they want to um, evolve the business. Right? Yeah. It gives them more information and knowledge to be able to understand the business. So, But that must have been picked up in the shop because like, you're mm. talking about that innovation piece 
innovation kind of comes more with them with that kind of management it accounting, does, doesn't yeah, it? It does because yeah. you have to think forward. Yeah, it does. It does, and it's also about using um, the tools you have available to you, right? So in the shop now, uh, for example, we'd have sliced ham yeah. or beef or turkey yeah. for sandwiches, right? Yeah. And Mum would have promoted the remainders of certain pieces yeah, so it wouldn't yeah. go to waste yes, before it might away, yeah. yeah, before it might go off, right? So she was a real user of of what we had yeah. and to make sure that there wasn't a, a lot of waste. And that's a similar uh, thought process as a management accountant. We look at what an organisation has and how we can utilise what it has, for example, in their, their financial systems. Mm. What are they using or what are they not using? Yeah. What could they be using to give them better information to drive the business forward. So it's it's a similar sort of thought process. You were right. And so it is interesting because, you know, what applies to the very small corner shop also applies to global businesses as well. So, oh, it, yeah. it, you know, it does. It, yeah. if you can get the small corner shop right, you can probably use that in any type of organisation. Mm. Oh, you can. And vice versa, right? Yeah. So I went from a small family shop, right, to my career which was in the multinational space, yeah. the corporate space, right? Um, so I had that knowledge going in there and then I also had the multinational knowledge coming back out, which mm. I did a couple of years ago. So they are very similar, just one in a larger scale. So you obviously went through school, the shop was there. Where did you go to college then? Washford. Waterford. Yeah, I went to Washford, yeah. No, yeah. Not the two colleges in Cork at the time? No, because believe it or not, I didn't get a BCom. Okay. Which I wanted. And that yeah. was following my big sister's footsteps. Yeah. Didn't get it. So yeah. I went out to Washford. I got a business degree down there. Yeah. And I specialised in accounting. I went to Dublin Business School to do my SEMA accounting exams mm. up there. I worked um, with the company up there for three years. And then I came back down to my future husband. Back down to Cork. And where was the first role? Um, Loctite, um, Superglue. They're a company of Henkel. Okay. Yeah. So I worked with them for three years on product costing. Yeah. It was probably, if I was to give anyone any advice in, if they're looking to be a management accountant, costing is where they should start, most definitely. You learn what makes up the costs of a product, the labour, the material, the overheads, all that lovely stuff. Like, do you see small businesses kind of just go straight in and sell things without ever looking at the cost? Oh, they do. And that's not unusual, though. And that's, you can't, I suppose you can't criticise that initially mm. because... I suppose that's learning about your product or learning about your service, whether it has a market, you try out the market. But at some point you do have to stop and you do have to calculate what it is really costing me to make this service or product. Like someone said to me recently, um, I'm very busy, right? I'm doing loads of work. I have a team with me. We're all working. We're Mm -hmm. doing the service, but I'm not making any profit, right? The profit is very small. So the the only way to really understand that is to look at each of the services and break it down on what it's costing. What's costing. Yeah. And that's not just the material pieces that might go into it. Yeah. It's also the time and the cost of each person's labour and putting it all together and then looking at each one to see where am I actually making margin mm. and where am I not? And then you can make a decision. And did I see you when you came to Cork, you came, did you go to EMC or was it Logitech? Um, no, well, I, I started in um, in EMC, yeah. now Dale. I spent a, quite a, a large number of years there or a lot num- of years there. And then I went to uh, Logitech and um, then I went to MOOC Controls 
and then I went to Gilead. Lots of different big global names. They are big global names, yeah. yeah. EMC, that was like, I'd say, like a little village of its own, was it? Yeah, it was uh, like a town even yeah. somewhat because you had so many different services available to you that you could avail of like your canteen and your, you had even tax advice. The bank used to come in. Um, so you kind of was very self-sufficient in the site. And that's the way a lot of the multinationals are uh, structured. They support their employees mm. in ways like that, which um, enable them to be self-sufficient when they are at work. Right. And was it, uh, was it all kind of costing and manufacturing that you were doing or? In EMC, I was a financial analyst, right, okay. um, for different uh, departments, software, yeah. IT and finance. So that is understanding the costs of the department yeah. and managing them from a budgetary perspective. And then I moved into manufacturing, manufacturing finance. So I would have managed all the finances for the manufacturing side, the costing, the distribution costs, all those different um, cost factors of the manufacturing area. And for them, they're selling very expensive cloud systems and things like that and machines and hardware. <laughs> I, you know, I know that, it, you know, it's it's not like a little laptop or something like that that they're doing. But I'd imagine the amount of work that goes into even just tr- trying to figure out the costings is huge. It is huge. Yeah, it is. It's massive. Um, it's, I suppose, it's an important process to have mm-hmm. right because yeah. it's so um, costly as it's the materials that go into it and the time to make it. And is it always dictated by head office in the US then? How does that work? Like, do you have a relationship with them? Yeah, well, since I've left, it's probably changed somewhat, right? Mm. But when I was there, the changes were made from head office down. So if you wanted to change something in process or product content or whatever it might be, it would be pushed up the chain for approval and then back down the, the chain again. And that's to ensure consistency of procedure and um, process across the organisation. It can, it has to be that way so that you're going to get the, the yeah, same yeah. product delivered in one site as you would in another. Right? Mm. It's, that, that would be key in a multi, our standard, very standard multinational approach. And how many would be in the finance team in, in a place like EMC when you were there? How many? 50, Whoa. somewhere around there. It's like and a big accountancy firm just in one business. Oh alone. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And each would have a different... Um, area of focus for them. One group is corporate accounting, mm. one is accounts payable, accounts AR, um, accounts receivable, general ledger, then you might have project teams, tax teams, mm. all rolling up to a finance director. So you left EMC, what made, what made you move? Did someone come come knocking on your door or kind of just you wanted to change the scenery? Um, it was really kind of a change of scenery I was looking for. Yeah. Um, I had spent quite a lot of time in the manufacturing yeah. area of EMC at that stage and I wanted to try a new area. Something different. Something so different. So down to Logitech. Another another kind of tech company, but more on the the kind of stuff that would be in people's houses. The computer peripherals, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Accessories um, and things yeah, like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, since I worked with Logitech, I'd use, I wouldn't use anything else except a Logitech mouse or a Logitech yeah. keyboard, but they do so much more now. I mean, their technology. And do they is. make that stuff in Cork? Like um, the, the keyboards and, and the mouse and stuff like that? Or is it just a, no, so, a service? No, not in Cork. It's uh, Cork would be uh, their area of um, administration, I suppose okay. you call it. Support, Support. research and development. Yes. 
So it was a different type of position, so compared to yes. EMC. Yes. Which is good too, I suppose. It's a bit of a variety. Mm. And then you said you went to Moog. Moog Controls. Yeah. They make control systems. Control systems, is yeah, it? Yeah, for different equipment for um, like tanks, very large equipment, uh, windmills. Yeah, um, yeah. Big, uh, significant equipment. They make the control systems. I didn't expect somebody to be making stuff for tanks in Cork, but you'll see, you'll, you'll come up with something different every day. Yeah, yeah. Again, Moog doesn't make any of this in Cork. Yeah, it's all, again, it's all yeah. R&D. It's yeah, all, yeah. yeah, yeah. So there must be, like, you know, there's a whole industry of, I suppose, that support um, within Cork. I mean, the support sector for mm. all these multinationals. There was a time when things were made here. I suppose if we go back to the likes of Dunlops and Fords and all of that, mm. but now it's kind of evolved and we're the, we're like the admin hub for all of these yeah. big multinationals. Yeah. It, it's definitely evolved that way. There yeah. are pockets of uh, manufacturing, but a lot of companies that are in Cork would mm. be um, distribution or um, they'd be putting together the uh, the product like, um, so example, the, the bits and pieces of the server might come into Cork and be put together, yeah, right? Yeah. So that might be um, not necessarily manufacturing its truest sense because yeah. they're not making the parts. Yeah. They're bringing the parts in and assembling them mm. in Cork and distributing them, right? So a lot of um, manufacturing organisations have gone that direction, mm. right? So tell me, while all this was happening, was your mother still running the shop in Sarsu Road or did she... Did she sell it or did she say, uh, I have my kids reared, no, I'm, uh, that's, that's, I'm retiring? That's kind of what happened, yeah. We left the shop in Ellenvale when I was in first year in college. Okay. So she kind of realised that we weren't really going to take up the yeah. reins, none yeah. of us. Yeah. So she got out of the business at that point. She didn't retire. Mum never retired. Mum is still doing something. So that kind of, I suppose entrepreneurial mindset then must have always been in the back of your mind as well because am I right in saying about two or three years ago then you decided to walk away from the multinationals? I did. I always had this dream of walking down the South Mall in a pair of high heels and a briefcase, right? That yeah. was my vision for myself for yeah. the future. Yeah. And to achieve that in my head I had to set up my own business. I couldn't be working for anybody else yes. doing that. I yeah. had to do that for my own business. Yeah. Unfortunately, by the time I get the, got there, the high heels are difficult at this point, right? Yeah. But I am getting there, right? Yeah, and yeah. I'm, I'm here. Not, this, not necessarily a briefcase, but it's a bag. Well, we're on the soap today anyway, so we we're, are, yeah, we're, exactly. start, we're getting there. And I did yeah. walk down here with the bag and the yeah. computer. So, um, yeah, I decided that I think I had enough of the multinational world. I had yeah. enough of the flying around in airplanes and I had given a lot a lot of me. And was there a lot of travel in that? Oh, there was, yeah. Was there, the, yeah. I got very senior in the last uh, company I worked with, with. Yeah. So there was a lot of travel and there would have been more and more. Even though if I foresight and known COVID was happening. Yeah. Where everyone came to you ground. Would have been back at home. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, I was at a point in my life anyway where I felt I'd given enough mm. and I wanted to do something for myself. And it was a matter of if I didn't do it now, when was I going to do it? Yeah. You know, while the energy was still there for me and I have mm. the drive and the interest. So I did make that move. Um, and yes. how long had you been with Gilead before you made the move? Uh, almost eight years. Yeah. yeah. So it was a big decision. Oh, it was a big decision. Yeah, exactly. A um, secure job. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Pension. Double yeah. Lash. Yeah. Yeah. 
but I'm a risk taker like my mum. Yeah. So um, just, said, she would have done a very similar thing when she moved into Ellenvale. Yeah. Um, that was a big risk for her to take the shop on at that point. Um, my risk, I suppose, was similar. But I have, I think, believe I have enough driving energy behind myself. I know as well, if it's not going to work, I'll have to back out because I have dependents. Yeah. I have three children okay, and yeah. my husband is stay-at-home dad. So yeah. um, I know if I had to pull the plug, I would, you would. But I have no intention of it. Yeah. When you did that, did you sit down with anyone and say, am I doing the right thing? Like, would you have mentors or anything like that? You, or did you approach any kind of, I suppose, organisation like the Chamber, Enterprise Offices or anything like that? Or did you just do it yourself? I did it myself. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Um, I suppose when I initially left, I didn't know what I was going to do mm. in regard to what service I was going to bring to yeah. the SME world. I knew I wanted to work with um, Indigenous SMEs in yeah. Ireland, right? Yeah. I knew that, but I didn't know how. Yeah. I didn't know what value I wanted to bring. Yeah. And I suppose one of my key, you know, challenge boxes is value, yeah. right? I need to be bringing value yeah. in what I do to others. Yeah. Um, so I didn't figure that out for a while. And when I figured that out, then I started to build the business uh, following that, uh, I suppose, theme, which is around growth Yeah. Um, for SMEs. So was there a period whereby it was just a lot of kind of sitting down, trying to figure out where you were going after you left Gilead or, you know, were you kind of preparing before you left in your own mind at the weekends and in the evenings? Um, a little bit. Yeah. But if I, I'm honest, not that not much. Not that much. Yeah, no. Yeah. Um, and the funny thing was that when I came out of um the multinational world, and this just shows you, I suppose, I call it a little bit of narrow mindedness, but mm. maybe it's not. Um, when I started doing, I suppose I started doing interviews for yeah. different jobs. I didn't know I was actually what I was going to set my own business up at that point. Yeah. So I started doing interviews for different jobs, but. Having come out of the multinational world where I was for so long, yeah. I found it difficult to get into the SME finance world. So you didn't actually know that you were going to set up your own business? Not at that point. No. Okay. Not at that point. You, was it a case of they were intimidated by your position in, in the multinationals? I think so. And also this perception that I wouldn't fit. Okay. Because I was conditioned to the multinational yeah. world and how could you go from that world to the SME world? Because they are, they are vastly different, mm. right? But that doesn't mean you can't make the move or the change, you know? Similar things will be said about people in public sector, actually. Absolutely. You yeah. know, there, there's nearly three different kind mm. of organisations. You mm. have your SME, then you have your public sector, and then you have these big global multinationals. Yeah, yeah. completely agree with you. And and another thing I found when I got out and back into the world, I suppose, of business in Cork is that I didn't know anyone. Okay. That's the funny No networking. Th- no network, right? Mm. I had I had a few from my early days which I had to, you know, start knocking on doors and yeah. try to build. My like my LinkedIn was all multinational persons who were really no I mean, no no offence to them, but they weren't helpful to me in the They new weren't world. going to give you a job. No. And yeah. I, I, they were as contacts, I suppose they didn't have a network themselves, most of them yeah. in the city for me to tap into. Um, so I, I did find that a challenge. And I suppose anyone who was looking to a longer term scenario would think of, want to think about their network 
if they're cl- planning something similar. So your own personal brand is very important. Oh, hugely. Yeah. Hugely, yeah. And yeah. even for people that are maybe quite secure in, in those multinationals. No, and we, we, I only bumped into somebody last week that worked in multinational that listens to us um, and, and they're very happy in their mm-hmm. role. But I'm sure there's there's others listening and, and they might be thinking in the future they might want to go into the SME business. Yeah. Is it a good idea to start kind of putting yourself out there? Definitely, definitely. And this is where some of the networking groups are important. Okay. I'm part of the Network Cork yeah. group. Yeah. I'm the treasurer of Network Cork this year. I got that post in December. Which is a women's entrepreneur network, isn't it? It Am is, I right? yeah. it is, yeah. yeah. But the value, I think, in joining Network Cork when you're with a multinational is you're building a network yeah. in Cork, right? Yeah. And it also adds value to your role in the mm. multinational because what I found, this was the reality check for me when I came out, is that, you know, the phrase I'm using there, came out. Yes. Because you're literally in one world that's very, very, very different from the world that business people in Cork are in. They're like two separate worlds entirely. Are you more of a... <laughs> Do you know that phrase? You're you're just a number. Like, is it a yeah. bit like that? I don't know. It sounds yeah. awful. Yeah. You know, because everyone is doing an incredible job and knows more yeah. But you don't really develop your brand because you're sitting under such a big global giant. Yeah, you are a number. Yes, but I do think you're valued as well, yes. right? And if you add value to the company and mm. you've done well in the organisation, yeah. there's a gap when you leave, right? Yeah, I like to think that, right? Yeah. Um, but the branding you have to do as an SME owner in the SME world is a very different, yeah. different approach. Um, it's, it's, you're building a brand in a different way. And I have to, I had to, and I'm still learning that every day. Whereas in the multinational world, mm. I actually found it very easy because that's what I've been conditioned to do. Yeah. In the SME world, I'm still learning. And of course, as an accountant, you probably didn't, I suppose, have to push for business. You didn't have to go knock on doors, mm. you know. So, yeah. you know, mm. that was a whole new learning curve for you then. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, even to kind of introduce yourself to people, I'd say, is quite different. Oh, it is, it is. And when I did start out, right, and when I said I knew what I wanted to do when I launched the business in January 2020, yeah. my intent was, because I'm actually a better person, to me, I, I communicate better with people. Yeah. Person in one to one or with yeah. you know face to face or all of that wasn't available to me during COVID. Mm. It was all just Zoom. So you launched in January twenty twenty, but in yeah. two months, I had one networking event with oh. Network Cork in person, and going to that was kind of a little intimidation because I didn't know any yeah. of the women and I had to introduce myself and I kind of sat at the back and And did you find them welcoming because sometimes when you go into it yeah. it can be a click in, in different yeah, organisations yeah, I'm not saying yeah. they are but I'm saying in, in general I don't see the network carcass clickish Yeah really. no that's good but and they were very welcoming but I suppose I was coming from a very different background yeah, which yeah. was corporate which was kind of more reserved a little yeah. bit you know stand backish. And I was in a world here of where, you know, people were engaging and yeah. chatting and... Full of energy. Yeah, life. and yeah. I suppose I have, I have to adjust myself yes. a little to that and get into that. It's something actually someone said to me recently, your approach is very corporate, Noella, so you need to be a little bit more personable. So that was... That's hard to take when someone oh, says something Well, like it's that. good. I, I needed to know that. Yeah. You know, I needed to know that, Stephen, because if I don't know that... Yeah then I can't do something about it. Yes. And that's the value yeah. of 
telling someone something and so you tell them as well. It's okay if you tell them in a nice way. Yeah. But is there also a bit of credibility in terms of having that small bit of corporate approach as well in terms of you're dealing with someone's finances? Yeah, there is. Yeah, I suppose what I'm what I'm trying to be now is professional, Mm. but personable. Yes. Right. Trying to put the two together in a way that someone can feel they can talk to me or approach Mm. me because when you're talking about somebody's finances or their business, it's very, very personal to them. Yeah. It's very, very, you know, close to their heart. Mm. And and as as one person said to me one day, one owner of a company in Cork said, it's it's my baby. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you need to be a personable person for them to open up to you about their business. Right. And I do that very well in person. Yeah. Right. That was a struggle for me with Zoom. So COVID kicks in. Did you regret leaving Gilead then at that point? Or were you Um, saying, no, we'll just embrace this? Well, there's no... SME business owner in the first year business that doesn't stop several times and say, oh, what have I done? Yeah. Yeah. I wish I had the regular paycheck coming in the Mm. door. But for me, at the same time, I was ready to make that move. I have three teenage daughters. They, the, I suppose the unwritten agreement between me and my husband was that when they reach teenage years, which they have with a bang, um, that I would be around more. Yeah. So we didn't know how that would transpire but this um, doing what I'm doing now means I am around more. Right. Um, I'm home every night most nights. Brilliant. Yeah. To see them or to listen to the dramas. Oh yeah. <laughs> Plenty of drama of course in those anyway. Oh, yeah. 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 But like that's important as well for you know I'd imagine your mother struggled with that in terms of trying to run a shop and then have ye at home as well. Yeah. You probably saw that. Oh Lauren God, Corp. I can't imagine. I don't know how she did it. She yeah. had three daughters and a son. I don't know how she did it because yeah. the hormones in my house are loop de loop. So I can't imagine what she had to do with plus running the business as running well. Running the business, yeah. yeah. And staffing and that kind of business as well is can be volatile and, yeah. you know, trying to get staff in in a retail business um, can be difficult, but not as uh, difficult as it is today. It's um, incredibly difficult today to get staff in some retail businesses. Very tough. Yeah. So you set up, Zoom came. How did you get this? How did you get customers? Like, like you know, there'll be people listening to this now and they want to set up a business and that'll be the fear. How do you get a customer in the door? The first customers, if I'm absolutely honest with you, came through connections. Okay, people that you knew. People that I knew, yes. So I would have met someone in my recent years, yeah. and I'm not talking about the prior years, I'm talking about the recent years that I would have met in that first year out of the multinationals okay. who I would have, I suppose, At networking events with. and stuff? Not really networking events okay. um, yeah. that much, but someone I might have connected with it at, in a different way, right? Yeah. Um, and they would have introduced me or referred me to someone else. So that's how I, I've got business in that first year of COVID. Um, since then, I have um, become Leo mentor for Cork City, um, Tiberi. And also I am connected, well connected in with Enterprise Ireland. Very good. So I do yeah. a lot of consultancy for them now. So I had to build those building blocks as well whilst I was working yeah. With the clients that were referred to me. So are you more, I suppose, advice than looking over someone's books? Oh, I am. Yeah. So I suppose my business supports companies that are planning to grow. Yeah. Or in a growth spurt. So. 
not necessarily startup. Not necessarily startup. A great advice to give startups as well, yeah, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And I did work with um, the Rubicon Excel program last yes. year. As their as the finance trainer, mm. and I absolutely loved that. Yeah. Um, I loved working with them and, uh, and looking at their ideas and stuff and their numbers. Yeah, their numbers. Like people, you you wouldn't believe how concerned people get about numbers. They have mm. just a phobia about numbers, and it's actually quite simple for someone who's number oriented. Like yeah. I could do up your forecast now for the next 12, 18 months fairly quickly. But to someone else, that would be just, oh, my God, stuff. And do you ever look at the likes of the TV shows like your Dragons? Then I was only just came on the TV the other night. I was watching it and, you know, people get when the numbers is, you know, how many, what sales did you have last year? What sales have you, are you forecasting for next year? And they freeze. Mm. Is that happening all the time? Oh, yeah. I like I. They can't tell you. No. And I might I might ask, well, have you built your forecast for this year? Yeah. Most business owners will say no. They don't know how to start. They don't know where to start. Mm. They don't know how to how to go about it. So I worked with a client actually a few months ago um, and she had a food business yeah. and she wanted to get a grant to um, expand the business mm. with local enterprise. So we worked on the application and she got the grant. Um, but to do that, she needed to forecast for the next 12 uh, months and mm. in a detailed way and three years as well. Yeah. So I, she sat across from me and I asked her questions. Yeah. And I built the forecast for her from her knowledge because the knowledge is all in the head of yeah. the business owner. It's just a matter of putting it down in a way that generates yeah. the result, which is the profit and the, the margins. Really, yeah. that's the ultimate yeah. result. That's what you want to see on paper. Is it sometimes a guessing game as well? Ah, yeah. Of course it is. You, like anyone would say that when you're forecasting, you can only forecast based on what you know yeah. right now. And you need to do your research right on the market, on the environment, yeah. put in some predictive factors as well yeah. for inflation yeah. or for growth, um, depending on what you know. But yeah, there's a certain amount of gut or instinct about where you think the business is going to go. But they need to be really realistic assumptions yes. as well. Right. Yeah. Like if a company wanted to grow by 25% revenue next year, right, you'd have to really probe to see where yeah. are you getting that? What markets is it coming from? What yeah. product is it coming from? Yeah. Have you the staff to even make that happen? Yeah. You know, so um, it's about asking those questions to them mm. to build a forecast that is realistic and makes sense. And do you see people underestimate it? Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. that they're kind of too conservative oh, for yeah. their own you good. You get both. You'll get yeah. both. You'll get a, a, a dreamer and you'll get the... The cautious person uh, yeah, that, are, that yeah. are afraid. Yeah, you will. Absolutely. And then you have to try and bring sense to that. You mm. know, you might say, look, actually, I think we'll increase it by 10% because yeah. the last 12 months have been quite strong and historically you've moved up 8%. So let's increase it by 10% and let's figure out where we're going to get that from. You know, what market or product. With an accounting mind... Do you also advise them to invest in, in the brand themselves and, and invest in marketing and sales, you know? Yeah, yeah. While marketing and sales are not my yeah. special, speciality area, right? You can't grow a company without investing, yes. right? And 
investing in marketing and sales yeah. may not necessarily need to be where they, they need to invest, but most likely they will to some degree. Yeah. So I would advise in those areas, but I wouldn't consider myself the expert. But you'd put a budget aside and you'd absolutely, say you yeah. have to yeah, spend absolutely. so much on this if you, you want to grow. You cannot grow without investing. Yeah. It's just, there's no way. It's not going to happen. And did I see then that you brought other members into the team or, or collaboration? I did, yeah. So that that was a big a big move for me, and mm. as was when someone asked me once when I was setting up my own business, did I want staff? Mm. And I said, absolutely. And they were like, "Oh my God, do you want staff? There's so so much hassle staff." Mm-hmm. I actually love managing people. Yeah, it was always one of my strength areas. Um, people and, management and, and in the multinationals, people. did you did you manage big teams? Oh, I managed big teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah and loved that and what loved size? watching them grow and develop. Thirty, forty Whoa. in a team. And then I would have managed projects then with global teams yeah. um, from time to time. So I'm used to teams and I'm yeah. used to leading people and yeah. I love it. Right. So, yes, I did bring two people into the team. One is Sandra. Yeah. So, you know, Sandra, if you've yeah. connected with Sandra. Sandra does our administration, our marketing, and she's just absolutely amazing. She's yeah. one of these people that when you get the chance to work with you just want to work with them forever. So she's amazing. She's up in Clare. Okay. She's remote. Um, so she, there is benefits to Zoom. You don't necessarily need to live in, in Cork. No. Yeah, yeah. We use the phone yeah. a lot, right? Yeah. And we meet in person once a month somewhere. Okay. So we usually met in a co-working office in Limerick yeah. up until we hired um, Neave. So Neave came into the business in November and Neave's from Waterford. She's yeah. originally from Dublin, but she lives in Waterford now. And Neave is also remote. So Neave is on client work along, alongside myself. So it's a fully remote team. So I'm guessing the next person will be from Tipperary or Kerry or Quite something possibly. like that. Quite possibly. Maybe New York even. You never know. And is she doing something different to you or is it the same type of role then? So you have Sandra that's doing the admin. What's Neave doing then? Neave is a client facing role. So... The long-term plan is Neve will be engaging and working with clients. Yeah. But for now, Neve is, I suppose, more in the background and learning yeah. the Pinnacle ways yeah. and doing some background work and some uh, data analytics work and reporting for me, for clients, right? Yeah. To develop and bring her along into the Pinnacle way because Neve is a return to work um, after seven years of being at home with the kids. Okay. She's integrating back into the workforce as well. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's she's happy to work in, I suppose, in the background until we get the providing you support exactly. as well. Yeah, just like yeah. you would have provided people in the multinationals. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. And the name Pinnacle is it kind of coming out of Pinnacle, or where does it come yeah, from? Yeah, Pinnacle is right. You have the right the right word. Yeah. So I suppose this is kind of something I became very passionate about when I led people. Is that people are at the pinnacle of your organisation and they need to be at the pinnacle of your organisation because your organisation will not work without them. They need to be cared for, motivated and looked after. Right. And if they are really integrated as part of your team, it will bring revenue to the bottom line. So it's all about looking after people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm passionate about that. And it's very, very important to me. As Pinnacle has kind of grown over the last two years, have you started to, I suppose, grow your own personal brand a bit more now as well? Like, like, yeah. are you giving talks or anything? Or like, I don't naturally, yes, right, do videos and things like that. But mm. I did a video last week, and 
it actually wasn't too bad after about 500 takes okay. I actually said yeah, okay that's alright so I'll release that one did you do for your own social or, or what was it for I just on the business yeah. you know um, yeah. and I, I plan to do more of that right because that is apparently you know what people like to see is videos as yeah. opposed to loads of words yeah. and they like to hear you know so I'm starting um, I'm pushing myself in it's that like direction it's like what you said coming out where like oh, <laughs> yeah. you, 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 you used that yeah. phrase and, and it is interesting because mm. it's a very different world it is yeah it is, yeah. If you're not used to it. No, it is. And I have to adjust. And that's where Sandra comes in as well, because Sandra's fantastic for prompting me yeah. on things that she thinks we should be doing to promote the business and to prom- promote my brand behind the business. Yeah. So like, I'm looking at other different areas as well. Um, I won't share the, the company now, but I am appointed as the first non-exec director for female director for a very long-standing organisation. Oh, very good. So that'll be announced next week. So I'm quite excited about that. Here, yeah, here with that, excited about what that. that detail yeah. is in, in the next week. And, you know, your work with as a mentor then, mm. um, are you bringing the practices that you learned from the multinationals to them? You know, you know, in terms of, I suppose, accountability, in terms of costing, all of these different things. Yeah. So, for example, I might connect with a new client, mm. right? as a mentor and what they need is already defined or what they think they need, Mm. right? So they might have defined that already. So they'll come to me and we will discuss where their business is at. Um, I'll I'll try and get a good understanding of their company, their finances, but also how the company works, what the culture is, what the appetite for growth or investment is. And then we will talk through some ideas on how to achieve the objectives that they have set out. So that might be um, to increase staff. It might be to increase um, sales. It may be anything. It might be to increase profile or to to establish themselves better in an, in some way. We will discuss what they can do to achieve that. And I'll advise them based on what. But it's all about what they want to do. What they want. And yeah. is that usually over a couple of sessions? Yeah. The initial session is probably the most interesting one. You kind of probe the business a bit. Yeah, and and I love the learning bit as well. Yeah. I love learning about the business and how they've come to where they've come to and what mm. they want to do going forward. Um, but it's a very interesting journey in most cases. Are you seeing any, any trends amongst all of these businesses? Is there anything kind of new, innovative? I suppose the, the real innovative thing in the SME world is digitalization. Okay. That's the real thing that is um, I suppose it's the, it's definitely for the next 10 years going to yeah. be crucial to SMEs is to utilise technology better. Yeah. Um, there's so many SMEs in, still in the paper world and if, if you compare them to the multinational world they're streaks apart. Yeah. Some SMEs are great, right? Yeah. I don't do paper myself. Yeah. I hate paper yeah. and that comes from my background yeah. in the multinational world so I bring that mindset to the SME world. Like I walked into a client last year and, and I nearly fell over with the amount of paper and files. Yeah. Everything got printed. Everything got printed. Because it's, I suppose, old mentality. It's to the way it was always fashioned. done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with it. Mm-hmm. Right. But there are more efficient ways of doing things through digitalization that can be achieved. And Enterprise Ireland is very supportive and Leo as well of digitalization in SMEs. It's um it's become a key driver. Yeah, and I know you said you work with both 
uh, Leo and Enterprise mm. Ireland, they have two very different remits, don't they? Kind of in many ways, like Enterprise mm. Ireland are thinking of overseas mainly, aren't they? And and Leo is very much helping that small Indigenous mis- yeah. business. Enterprise Ireland is yes, it's overseas, but it's also manufacturing for even here. For here, yeah, yeah. So um, it's both, yeah. right? So yeah. I suppose the any company would love to get into the the eyes of Enterprise Ireland because yeah. the grant funding is stronger. Yeah. Um, but they have to fit the criteria as well. So yeah. it could be either through manufacturing or the overseas um, sales, right? Um, Leo then is uh, supporting the company up until it reaches 10 if it is manufacturing or overseas trading. Yeah. It supports them and then it moves on to Enterprise oh, Ireland. Oh, so that's the difference between the yeah. two. You yeah. get to 10. And then you, you move on. Move Plus, Leo supports all of the other service organisations as well that don't fit the overseas or the manufacturing criteria. Did I read you're also a coach? <laughs> in oh, your yeah. spare time. So, oh, yeah, when yeah. I, you know. Yeah, I am. In uh, athletics? Athletics, yeah. Juvenile athletics. Um, Cross country really is my, my passion from my old days of running around in the mud um, yeah. when I was younger. I was went to school in Mercy. Yeah. And um, Dan Kennedy was my um my coach, my cross country coach yeah. in athletics. He's um I think uh, he still works with um with the cross country teams. But um yeah, I loved it. Loved it. And did you do it competitively over the years or I did yeah, I didn't win. I didn't yeah. win right, but yeah I did. I All over the country and stuff. Area, yeah. 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 Running yeah. around in the mud, jumping over fences into cow stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a, a bit different from the multinational world. It was something that gets Very stuck different, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's two sides to me. There is the professional accountant. Yeah. And then there is the I just love walking around in my hiking boots with yeah. the dog in mucky places. That's the other side to me. You love nature. <laughs> yeah, I love, yeah, I'm an outdoor person. Yeah, very much so. But there must be a bit of networking in, in, in running and stuff like that as well. There, there, I, I've always noticed in, over the years when they have an event on, because when I was in Fort, we organised, you know, a road race in there and they all stay around. There seems to be a, a oh, great very, network. Oh, very, they love the very tea and coffee social. afterwards. Yeah. And yeah, I've done a couple of those photo races. So yeah. I, I was part of the Eagle Athletic Club oh, at one yeah, stage. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's when I first got back into running as an adult. Yeah. Um, I was with Eagle for years and then I moved over to Belgooli Athletic Club as a coach. Yeah. Um, and my all, all my kids were there for a while. But yeah, the cup of tea afterwards and the piece of cake in the uh, community centre, you can't beat it. You just can't beat it. Usually on a Sunday or on a, on a weeknight yeah, in the yeah, summer or something yeah, like that. Yeah. And, and how the, do you find coaching teenagers? And Is it teenagers or kids that you're coaching? Um, I actually prefer coaching teenagers. Okay. Yeah. yeah um, because... They listen? They can... They Yeah, they listen. I suppose the, young, the younger kids are great, but um, it's kind of more like, you know trying to keep them into the sport yeah. in different ways, yeah. right? Whereas when they get to teenagers, they're usually in it because they want to be in it mm. and they want to achieve in the sport yeah. or they want to get fit from the sport or yeah. they, they just want to be there themselves, yeah. right? So that's why I love working with teenagers or training teenagers. I don't really care whether they do competitive or not. I love just seeing them come every week and turn up. Usually I finish off the podcast with asking two questions and I, I'm really interested in your advice in this now because you act as a mentor. So I think it'd be a really good one. So the first question I ask people is what tip would they give a business in terms of growing their brand? 
the tip I would give a business in terms of growing their brand is to really understand their numbers mm. and to understand where they want to go financially yeah. into the future and to allocate funding to marketing to yeah. achieve that. Um, the amount that they would allocate will depend on the company and where they are. Yeah, because that's an interesting question because people often ask me, you know, how much should I spend? Have you seen over the years, and I know you, you wouldn't have been selling the products, a mm. lot of times you would, you know, your division was kind of offloading it to someone else who would yeah. then sell it. Yeah. But is there usually a cost for marketing, you know, built in to yeah, e- each there product? Is, yeah. And what, what, what kind of percentage? It depends on the, the industry. Yeah. The industry, it really depends on, because certain industries require marketing on a very, very constant base, basis, like food. Yeah. So they could spend eight to ten percent of revenue yeah. on marketing, and then which is quite a substantial it is. budget. Yeah, um, and then you which is eaten into your margin. Oh, big time! Yeah, big time. But if you don't spend it, you don't have the margin to eat into. Yeah, right. So it's it's especially in the food industry, mm. it's very dependent mm. on marketing and sales. Yeah, and then you have other industries that would market, but not to the same expe- extent. Like maybe. Um, the IT space, yeah. right? If you have a very strong piece of software, it'll sell itself, yeah. right? Um, and services you, probably as well. Would services, it? yeah. They yeah. wouldn't spend as much. No, they wouldn't. No, yeah. no. You could be down at two, maybe three percent of revenue there. Mm. But it depends on the stage of the company. Are they at, at early stage? Mm. Are they maturing, or where are they in their life cycle? Like when you talk about forward planning, how far should they go? Like, you know, is it is yeah. it 12 months? Is it five years? Or, or, like? I think every company should have at least a three-year plan. Should it? At least a three-year yeah. plan. It doesn't need to be massive detail. Yeah. The next 12 months should be in detail. No question. Okay. And then each month, a company should be looking at where they, what they achieved versus what they set out to achieve, right? And you could do that easily, like easily with um, a, even a pen and paper, right? For each month of the year. But you should have a three year plan on where the company wants to go because and that should be shared with your staff as well. Yeah. Because if you share this stuff, this is what I mean by the pinnacle, right? Yeah. If you bring your team in yeah. with you on your journey and you share your aspirations or your goals with them, they're more likely to come with you and to help you to achieve that. Like Sandra and Neve know what I want to achieve mm. with the business. Yeah. Um, they know my dreams. I yeah. They, I I value their input yeah. in getting there yeah. and we work together to get there. Do you see that with small businesses that they're afraid to share it with oh, their yeah. staff? God, yeah. They yeah. don't want to share the information? No. no, top secret stuff. Yeah. You don't have to share with them the absolute profitability Yeah, but share with them the growth you're looking yeah. at, the markets you want to get into, yeah. you know, the you'd be surprised what they might be able to give you back. Yeah in support or advice or thoughts or I've been here or I've been there I worked here and they did this that's hugely valuable And is it one of the reasons why they get the financials wrong in terms of they don't kind of sit down with their staff who might know things on the ground Well yeah yes yes it's quite possible but I think why people get their financials wrong is they don't actually look at them they don't look at them properly they look at the numbers the, the accountant hands them over in a, in their little booklet at the end of the year. Yeah. This is the profit you made. This is the tax you're going to have to pay, right? Yeah. Um, but beyond that, a lot of SMEs don't look at the future, whereas that should be an input yeah. to the future. Yeah, some of them are happy just to break even, I'd say. Some of them are, yeah. 
And that's probably not feasible in the long term, is it? Well, you're if just... If you had a bad year? Yeah, if, you, if you're just happy enough to break even, you're at risk, mm. aren't you? Like, and you like a COVID time Absolutely. that we just had, that, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm sure some businesses... Yeah. Now, they might have been supplemented by the government yeah. over the last while, but there'll come a stage where maybe they'll have to close the door. Yeah, quite possibly. And I don't think we've seen the last of that because that transpires over time. Yeah. Like people don't realise where their finances are until the end of the year accounts are done. Yeah. And they're like, oh my God, I didn't realise this is where yeah. we were. And then they have to make the decision. So things like the network cork and stuff like that, should that be a marketing cost for somebody? Should somebody say, look, I'm, we're, we're joining our staff oh, yeah. to this. This is yeah. a marketing cost. We're going to attend this. This yeah. is you know, people's yeah. time, but there's a cost in it. Yeah. And Chamber of Commerce yeah. as well. Um, yeah. We are members of Chamber of, the Chamber of Commerce in Pinnacle for the last two years as well. And do you get benefits from it? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. There's benefits from all of them. But yeah. I think what I don't get as much benefit from is that the lack of people connection. Yeah. Um, in November, the restrictions were released for a couple of weeks and I went to four events in yeah. two weeks. Yeah. Right. Uh, one Chamber of Commerce, two Network, actually two Chamber of Commerce and two Network Cork. Right? Yeah. And then it all closed down again. Yeah. And it was back to Zoom. And I think the enthusiasm or the energy for Zoom is gone. It's gone. Yeah. People are fed yeah. up with it. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think that you might come on your Zoom call, you do what you have to do on the Zoom call and then you kind of come off it again. So there used to be all these networking yes. breakout rooms, but that's work. kind of dying a little. Mm. People are just so dying to connect in person again. It probably works for one-to-one, but not for groups. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's brilliant for one-to-one, one-to-one in yes, terms of remote and yes, stuff. Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah, it is. And I do a lot of my client work yeah. on Zoom one-to-one. Yeah. But then you have a, an agenda or you have a plan mm-hmm. of what you want to achieve yeah. and you get you get that, you could get through that in your time. So the other question I have, Noelle, is um, what tip would you give an individual? So, I'm thinking of you, that person that's took the chance, left the multinational world and uh, set up their own business. What tip would you give someone else in, in, maybe they could be in public sector, you know, they could be in multinational. What tip would you give them? I suppose one thing that really, I, sp- I wouldn't say it went against me, but it was hard, was my network. Yeah. Work on your network for several years before you go. Like if you're in a multinational and you do have a long term plan to go out and yeah. open your own business, Join a networking group in Cork and, and if you're female, then the networking network Cork one yeah. is ideal. Yeah. And it, you build, you start to build a, a network for yourself. Your your profile on LinkedIn gets known in Cork and you become a person in Cork ever before yeah. you come out. That would be a big tip for me from anyone um, thinking along those lines. Right. Another one for, from me as well is too okay, Stephen. Oh, walk yeah. away. Two is fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the the other one for me is um is talk, right? So I had I kind of had a mental block on this one as well, right? Um, so talk when you are struggling. Yeah. So what I mean by that is you meet roadblock. Yeah. Like I met roadblock not so long ago, and I was kind of I suppose in a tizzy in my head as to how to get out of it yeah. but when I started talking to, to others to other business owners yeah, and stuff and yeah. getting ideas yeah. back yeah. I was able to get rid of the fog in my brain yeah. and come up with um, actions yeah. so I'm working through the actions and all of a sudden the fog is gone right so and I, I would find that hard to do on my own because when you're running your own business you're to your team you're supposed to be you know yeah, of kind course. Of at all, right? Yeah. But sometimes you don't. Yeah. Nobody knows everything and asking for help is absolutely okay. 
and it's good to go for a coffee with somebody that maybe even in in a in a related industry at times as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. like even one of your competitors, it's not the end of the world. You're not oh, going to share no. your life secrets with them. Like. Actually, that's funny you bring up competitors because um, I did join a networking group, not Chamber of Commerce, the Network Cork, and I was seen by another company as encountered as a as a competitor okay. and they were in the financial accounting the bookkeeping the tax that side yeah. whereas I'm not that side at all I would side. see myself as a partner yeah. to an organisation like that um, so I left the networking group and uh, I am looking for partners Okay. that is how I would one of the ways I'd like to grow the business is to partner with um, different accounting companies because the management accounting service is a different service and it's um, it's something, there is a gap there yeah. in the SME world. And it's it's interesting because I'd say there's a lot of people, even in SME, they see the, uh, accounting as just somebody that looks after their books. But oh, yeah. from our conversation today, it's it's not just that. It's it's much more. Not at all. It's, no, it is, yeah. yeah. It's future-proofing oh, it is. the business absolutely. and it's making sure that it's successful. Yeah, absolutely. And you have something down on paper, a plan to work towards, yeah. which can be amended if and when it needs to be. But at least you have something to work to. And that you can go back to. Yeah, exactly. It's been fantastic speaking to you. Thank you. Thank and, you very uh, much. I've really enjoyed it. And um, I think I've learned a good few things myself. And I think I'm going to be going back to this podcast and, uh, and maybe implementing some of the tips that you gave. Thank you very much, Stephen. Thanks I love so being here. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the 24 Stories podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and get in touch with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn at 24 Stories Tribe. I'll be back next week with a brand new guest.